Welcome to the Shift Method Podcast. I'm your host, Coach D. My goal is to shift the culture of health and fitness through evidence-based coaching and engaging content for the public and health fitness professionals alike. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. Well, it's good, everyone. Hey, this video is actually going to be a podcast from the Next Better podcast that I shot with Coach Lucas Woody. Now, originally, I had another guest on, but I had some audio issues, and so my videographer and I are working to get those organized. That way, we can put that podcast out on the next episode. But again, this is a great conversation I had on Coach Lucas Woody's podcast, and I thought y'all would appreciate it. So hope y'all enjoy this kind of different episode here. Let's get to it. All right, guys, Damian, Michael in the house, buddy. So excited to have you love having conversations with you. Love it when there's a microphone, because the things that we talk about are pretty interesting. And when we don't capture it, I'm like, man, I wish other people could have could have heard that. So luckily, we we have a microphone in front of us for, I think, the third time I've been on yes. your podcast twice, right? Yes, the third time. Yeah. So super excited about it this time. For once, I get to host. So I'm excited, which all that means is you get to talk more instead of me, uh, <laughs> which I'm very excited about because you got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So um, before we get started diving into physical wellness, which I know we will talk about four hours on end, let's tell the people who are listening a little bit about yourself and kind of what background and expertise and things that you have going on that allow you to talk into this space. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for inviting me on. It's always nice to be on the other side of the of the podcast realm. So excited for, for this endeavor for you, sir, because I know it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, hello, everyone. As Lucas mentioned, my name is Damian Michael, but y'all can call me Coach D. Uh, a little bit about my background. I am originally from the South Florida area. I got my bachelor's in exercise science at Florida Atlantic University, Go Owls. Uh, there's where I started my fitness career. And then I had the pleasure of going to Purdue University up in wonderful Lafayette, West Lafayette, Indiana. I uh, got my master's. That's right. Boiler up, baby. Yeah, buddy. That's where I got my master's in health and kinesiology and had the wonderful opportunity of being a graduate assistant at the uh, Francais Cordova Recreation and Wellness Center. Uh, and that is where I had the opportunity, of course, to meet a mentor and good friend, which that is Coach Lucas Woody, a.k.a. Professor Woody now. So <laughs> congratulations again for you, sir. I'm always going to hype you up. You know how it oh, is. I appreciate it. But yes, had that wonderful opportunity. Um, I've been in the business or the the fitness business for coming up on, if you can believe it, it's coming up on seven years now, uh, or actually eight years now, excuse me, excuse me, eight years with uh, being an ASM certified personal trainer, a group fitness instructor, a certified training conditioning specialist, and of course, diving into a little bit on the mental uh, health and wellness side of things. I'm also the founder of the Shift Method Fitness and Education, LLC. Uh, it was my graduation project actually coming out of COVID in 2020, which Lucas helped me organize uh, through his coaching methods and his mentorship. And so basically the Shift Method is used to help uh, bring awareness to kind of the culture of fitness right now. A lot of things that I, I learned from Lucas and things that we agree on is that fitness needs a cultural shift. Um, a lot of times fitness is is centered solely on, you know, aesthetics and challenges. And while that's cool and fun, and there's a time and place for those things, I really wanted to more so focus on a holistic approach to fitness and wellness, but also make it fun and engaging. Because sometimes when you say, hey, we're going to focus on psychology and healthy behaviors, while those things are awesome, it isn't always sexy. And so sometimes people just gloss over when they hear those things. And so my job is to make fitness and wellness fun, engaging. And I do that through my coaching practices and the way I engage people. But I also create a lot of awesome and what I call fun education based content uh, through a lot of platforms. And I have Lucas to thank for that. So 
yeah, that's a little bit about me and what I do. Yeah, that's awesome, buddy. Hey, I I walked beside you for a short time, but you did all the work, buddy. I just enjoyed <laughs> seeing you do it and watching you grow. But I appreciate, I appreciate that. that. So, uh, yeah, you have a lot of awesome stuff going on. You just mentioned off air a minute ago that you recently got a kind of a contract with your local government, right? Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So long story short, uh, for those who are familiar with the South Florida area, I, I kind of live in what is known as Broward County, just north of that. You have Palm Beach County, places like Boca Raton, West Palm Beach, people might be familiar with. And so the city of West Palm Beach actually contracted me to work with some of their uh, corporate wellness side of things to work for some uh, organizations and provide some fitness education and and mentorship for some businesses. And so yeah, it's nice that the, the name is getting out there and it's growing outside of just the one-on-one interaction or the strength conditioning interaction. I'm now getting more so into the educational side of things, which is really, really exciting for me. Absolutely. Thought leader, content provider, Damien, everybody. <laughs> I love it. So Damien, we're diving into obviously physical wellness today, and I'm super excited to hear a little bit about your um, experiences and the things that you believe are important in physical wellness, because like you said, there's such a diverse uh, understanding, sometimes misunderstanding of what yes. the physical wellness space is. And so there's a lot of work to do to, like you said, shift the culture, right? And so it's important, I believe, to get a really wide array of what everyone believes is important physical wellness. And then as you know about me, and as most people know about me, take all of that data and kind of amalgamate it and bring it into one central theme, right? Which is extremely challenging, but I feel like can be done. So let's talk a little bit about your beliefs in wellness. And first thing I want to hear, uh, like I hear from everybody that we listen to in our expert interviews is, how would you describe physical wellness in one or two sentences to a middle schooler? How would, yeah, how would that go? Absolutely. You know, physical wellness in, a, in its purest sense, and it still aligns with my philosophy, but I'll dive deeper in a moment here. Physical wellness is just the ability to have a better quality of life on a, on a somewhat holistic level in the physical dimension that is mainly pertaining to your, your physiology and a little bit into your psychology. So not being completely absent, but hopefully working towards being absent from disease processes, at least ones that are able to be mitigated by by increasing or bettering your physical activity, helping you have a better quality of life because we know exercise has a direct impact with your ability to do daily uh, activities of daily living, like being able to pick up your grandkids, being able to walk to school better, uh, things of that nature, having better energy and mood. The list could go on for a while. So really just overall improving of people's physiology and psychology is is the kind of simplified version of it yeah absolutely and that's it's simplified but not easy right no, no, <laughs> and that's no, no. something that uh we see time and time again what we struggle with here in our in our world why people like you are so important for our our society is we're struggling with that idea of of focusing on our physical wellness and i like how you you mentioned the psychological component, right? Because so many people think we we hyper prioritize our brains, our ability mm -hmm. to think, because that is something that separates us from most other species on this planet. And so we we glorify it, which it is like we have done amazing things because of these gigantic matters of gray in our head. <laughs> but when you put it on a platform of less than ideal health, right? The body not being taken care of 
then it doesn't work very, very well. It is not separate from everything else we have going on. They are very interconnected. So when none of this is healthy, when this isn't optimal, when this isn't working, then this doesn't and vice versa. And so I, I really like how you attach those two things so prevalently because it, they are attached that strongly. And Absolutely. You can't have one without the other. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I don't think you can, I don't think they can be separated. A, a big thing that I say a lot, and I, I use it in my marketing or in a lot of the posts I do, I say mental health is physical health. Uh, one of the things that I think is going to be a huge shift in the way that we view medicine, it's happening, but it's, there's still resistance. And I understand why I always, when people have resistance to ideas, I always try and find like, you know, what's causing those barriers to happen. And so there's, there's cultural implications and, and other biases that play a role in it. But I think what's really going to be a big shift in medicine is going to be the view of mental health as just another dimension of physical health. The reason why mental health or human psychology is kind of looked at from a distance and it makes people feel uneasy when issues arise is because number one, it involves personality. So it involves who you are as a person at a time. And there's, you know, there's religious elements that people might bring in. There's spiritual or the way people view it. So there's that that graying of perception of what's going on. Uh, and of course, it's it's something that isn't perfectly or as well as understood as the human body. Your brain is the most complicated, unique organ that we know of, period. And so when you have an issue with your heart, while it can be complicated, it's boiled down primarily to physiological concerns. Hey, your you know your essay note is firing improperly. You have a an electrical conductivity issue at the heart. Can we fix that with medication, with a you know a device that can reset you, et cetera? That's very understandable to the general person per se. When someone is dealing with schizophrenia and their whole demeanor shifts from time to time, it, it's harder to look at. Or when someone has depression and you can't necessarily point to depression, or the the way of treating it is complicated people get uneasy. And so because we're still at that kind of space, I think that's why they're viewed separately. But in reality, we're just working to treat another organ. Now there is complicated other things that involve your environment, your your social relationships, etc. But I think when we get over that hurdle as a culture, which I said, we're shifting to in a positive way, I think those two will become not indistinguishable, because there is times to separate, but it'll just be more so it's like, oh, this person's dealing with currently an issue of depression or anxiety or whatever it may be. And we're not going to view them or out them as an other because it's just part of their their continuum of physical health per se. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say to your point, we're not going to separate it necessarily, or we're not going to make them English distinguishable in terms of the what is going on. Like you can tell this depression is the thing that they are suffering from. But what is indistinguishable is that if they're suffering from depression, there's a good chance other things are happening in their body, right? And Absolutely. It's not just occurring from the brain, it's it's also occurring in hormonal imbalances and and gut health and and all these other things. And so, what will become vital is treating all of those things simultaneously, right? One hundred percent. To me, the biggest thing when it comes to treatments, and we're skipping ahead, but I love it, is if I can do a treatment that has side benefits instead of side effects, mm -hmm. then that's the treatment that I'm going to focus on, right? Yes. I work with my clients, I'm working with trying to improve all eight aspects of their, of their wellness, right? So if I can work on their mental health and their physical health and their financial health all at the same time, 
then you better believe that's what I'm going to focus on. So that's going to be, I think, a huge shift is how do we focus on treatment methodologies that allow us to improve things? That's what they say all the time. Exercise has side benefits. It does not have side effects. Exercise is medicine is Correct. what people like to say, right? Yeah. ACSM's motto. Yeah. And have you, um, have you, are you familiar with Peter Attila? You mentioned the name to me before, but please okay, yeah. re refresh me. Yeah, so he just he he is a doctor who um, focuses a lot on longevity, and so he just wrote a book called Outlived. I have I have listened to expert excerpts. I have not yet listened to the whole thing, but a lot of people who I respect in the field have pushed it time and time again. And he's talking about this concept of medicine 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and this idea that we're shifting from you know, we're going to drill a hole in your head because you have a, a headache <laughs> to we're going to throw pills at you because you have a headache to this, this very concept of like, okay, what are all the things that are happening that are causing these issues? And how do we mitigate it through healthy alternatives instead of just uh, osteopathic or sorry, allopathic means, right? The, the medications and those things. So yeah, the biopsychosocial model of medicine, sir, George yeah. Angle back in the 70s, it still rings true today and is evolving constantly. And, and you know, there's debate to be going on whether does the physical cause the psychological, does the psychological cause the physical, do they both intertwine? It, that's a debate that is case by case basis. But what we do know for sure is that just about everyone is going to benefit positively from some form of exercise. And that is going to have positive implications on both the physical and the mental and most likely other areas of wellness. And so really doesn't matter per se, which one's causing, which, if I know that I can give a good treatment outcome, that's going to help out then physical wellness is going to be the, the area that I'm going to attack. Yeah, absolutely. The unfortunate circumstances we're living in a society where we're pushing convenience, right? Like I can order something from China and have it tomorrow. And you tell me it's two days late and I will do it without <laughs> on you. Okay? And I, I've suffered from that too, um, because we're used to it, right? It's, it's a perception thing. If you're used to it and it doesn't happen, we go from familiar to unfamiliar and that causes anxiety and, and Bob's your uncle. So the the perception the this convenience perception where i take a pill and i get better right and, and it's immediate well it's immediate with implications right your liver has right. to process um your body doesn't get used to the idea of healing itself and therefore it's it's blunting that healing response and so and that's you know talk about anti-inflammatories and how the body's response to physical injury is inflammation inflammation so why would you stop that process 100 percent Right. So anyways, that's that's a whole rabbit hole. But to your point, this idea that physical wellness and, and emotional wellness from the eight dimensions of wellness are uh, so interconnected that it's hard to distinguish the two. Absolutely. I agree with you 100 percent. Yes, sir. So when you think about the people that you work with, Damien, what what where do you feel like they fall on that spectrum that we've talked about, that continuum we've talked about between sickness, wellness and that fitness? Yeah, absolutely. To give you a non-answer answer, I, I was thinking about it this morning and last night, and they they fall pretty evenly on the, not the complete end of either one spectrum, but pretty close to the tail ends of those spectrums. And so my general areas I focus in, I would say kind of fall into three main buckets. You have, you know, the strength and conditioning lens where I have athletes I work with that just want to improve their sport. I have people who are dealing with obesity, so they're kind of on that sickness lens on varying degrees, whether it's, you know, I want to lose 10, 15 pounds to improve my health versus I, you know, have high body fat composition and I have a lot of work to do. 
And then the other end of the spectrum, uh, or the further end of that sickness spectrum, is I also deal with a lot of people who have come to me with pain and injury. Uh, sometimes debilitating to the point where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm cleared medically and I've done my PT, but man, I, I, I need help, right? And it's, it's very difficult for me to do very simple things. And so I really see a pretty good even blend of those, of those three populations that kind of are towards the tail ends of the extremes. Absolutely. And, and that's what's so struggling with uh, nailing down the spectrum, right, is that idea. Like for me, I, I have a fairly decent body fat percentage, right? I, I work out regularly one to two times a day uh, on average five to six days a week. But then, you know, I I um, tear up my Achilles, right? And so, and I don't even know what it is. I've had an ultrasound, whatever. But it's like, okay, where does that put me, <laughs> right? Because now I'm not able to do the things that I want to do. It's pain, it's injury, it's debilitating, but I'm still seeing a lot of other metrics. And that's one of those, these goals is to help us better understand, you know, where do I fall on that spectrum, it, which is not easy to say. That's why it's a spectrum, right? It's not a, it's not a linear progression. It's a spectrum. Um, but to your point, if I have, if I I'm 10 pounds overweight, but I have absolutely no pain and injury. Where am I at? And how do I get better? And and does that matter as much? And so yeah. that's what I'm really excited about with these with these conversations is to figure that out. Do you view it as like different? Each person can have, depending on the area you're talking about, has multiple continuums in one person. So like you gave yourself a perfect example where you're like, I'm healthy and active, but my Achilles is bothering me. Does that, you know, do you like say, hey, from like a physiological standpoint, generally, I don't have diabetes, I am not dealing with obesity, so I'm healthy and I'm active, but I am dealing with an injury. So how do you how do you uh, split that up? Yeah, yeah. So uh, short answer, don't know yet, right? But uh, <laughs> long answer is, I, I strongly believe, I believe really strongly in the eight dimensional wellness. And there's other work out there that's six dimensions of wellness, seven dimensions of wellness, right? Just like there are eight minute abs, seven minute abs and six minute abs. Because if eight minute abs are great, why wouldn't <laughs> um, But I do believe in that. So because of that, I believe that there are eight spectrums that everybody has, right? Um, and so when I built that model, I built it. Um, there's a couple different 3D graphical models that I've used before to to try to explain it. But some of them are spectrums like you've seen before that that uh, the arc spectrum. Other mm -hmm. ones are a little bit more uh pyramid in shape because we start with foundational aspects so you think about maslow's our hierarchy of needs it's always depicted as a pyramid um which even now there's debate that 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 is out the door and that doesn't yeah, matter, yeah. but we won't go there so the another model would be it's a pyramid and so there are foundational aspects of our of our physical wellness and our spiritual wellness that we just have to have right so you think about like financial wellness do i have more money coming in than i do going out to me regardless of if you're a millionaire or you're homeless right? That that's pretty important mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as a, as a typical aspect of wellness or fit, financial wellness. And so, you know, is it a foundational, you start at the foundation and you build yourself up to a pinnacle that is exponential and you never truly know, because who knows what the pinnacle of financial, some people would say Elon Musk is the financial. I was about to say, is that Elon? <laughs> fitness, right. But then he drops, he goes from the richest man in the world because of his net worth to the lowest. And you know, who knows if, if we find out electric cars give you cancer, he's going to drop real quick. Right. <laughs> so, so there's, there's debate there again, why it's a spectrum and, and yeah. it's not a, a start and finish line, but um, so there's a lot of different ways to build that model, but to answer your question, I don't believe there's necessarily multiple 
continuum divisions unless we get into marvel's you know multiverse aspects <laughs> which i don't want to ever but i do believe that there are a lot of different contingencies upon which you you have to determine where you're going to fall in that spectrum because to your I point i don't have diabetes i don't have high level chronic medical conditions but i do have a chronic injury um but I also am able to get around it. So like that Achilles saying, some days it bothers me, some days it doesn't. I still go out and run. You know, I ran like 10 miles the other day and then did a, a 12, a 10 mile bike ride and blah, blah, blah. Like training for my adventure race. I can still do the things that I want to do, but it's it, it's a pain in the ass mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes to have to deal with that. So does that knock me down the physical wellness spectrum? I believe so. But to know exactly where it's at, that's hard to tell. That's why I focus more on the idea of the perception of which way we're going, which way we're I trending. See. So I tell people, you know, one of my concepts is if I set a goal for like, if I weigh, if I'm 200 pounds overweight, right. And I have type two diabetes, right. I'm, I'm, on, I'm, you know, if this is the spectrum, I'm on this end of the spectrum, trying to build myself up. I'm here, but I've set a goal, right? Transmit theoretical model of change. I have created a goal. I have contemplated that goal. I may be here and I was originally facing towards sickness because I'm getting worse. I'm trending down. I'm gaining weight. My diabetes is getting worse. Just by setting a goal, my perception has changed. And now I am facing the other way towards the fitness. I like that. That's really right? cool. You're changing your, you haven't moved necessarily on the continuum, but the way the arrow is pointing has shifted. That's Correct. cool. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously you have to back that up with actions because of course. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, ideas without actions are just dreams, but the the idea is that you're changing by changing that perception like i am here and i want to be there instead of i'm allowing myself to fall down allows you to change that perception so to me my achilles bother me so i i uh purchased a an achilles protocol by kelly sarrett who's the guy who did built to move here and, and desk bound and all that stuff he has a bunch of different protocols that he does for different injuries so i had achilles tendinopathy and so i bought this protocol all stuff I knew already how to do, but like, it just gave me something to follow. Cause sometimes you probably know, I don't want to write my own program for crap. Yep. <laughs> else to tell me to do it and I can follow it. So I'm, I'm, you know, I want to do it. so, um, so just the simple act of doing that and starting the process of improving mm -hmm. it and seeing improvements and results has, has ticked me back up that continuum. Gotcha. Makes sense. Absolutely. No, that so makes that good sense. Yeah. That's kind of how I've, I've been viewing that whole idea of that continuum and, and where we fall. So uh, great question. Thank you for making me think through that more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so kind of to recap, you work with people on, on all aspects of the, of the spectrum. I would say you're not dealing with people who are laying in a hospital bed dying and you're trying to get them to walk their first step. So you're not that right. absolute sickness. Um, last time I checked, you weren't training Olympic athletes yet. Not um, yet. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But you're training high level athletes who have higher aspirations of uh, than just being able to run around the block with their kids. So Absolutely. the higher level of fitness, right? So you kind of run the spectrum. So I'm going to kind of give it to you to figure out where you want to start that conversation. But usually what we talk about now is, is where do we, what, how would you describe the general qualities of a person at one end of those spectrums or the other? So I'll let you yeah. kind of decide that first. So pick one sickness level or fitness level, and tell me a little bit about the general qualities you're going to see in a person like that. 
Yeah, on on the sickness side, one that I I, I go back to constantly because you know they're they're quite different people, but an overarching theme that I've noticed is that, and this goes into a, a deeper conversation for maybe for a later question, but there is a real desire and hunger to change. Uh, a lot of these people just feel stuck and trapped, and so like the the desire is there, the intentionality of shifting on that spectrum, like you mentioned, the turning on that spectrum is there they've they've taken actionable steps to reach out to me on their own usually to come see me to schedule that action plan what i i term my my initial consultation mm-hmm. and they they're wanting to work with me and they're wanting to better their life but there's there's a lot of factors that get in the way or potentially create barriers for them to to be active and so it's very it's very messy and complicated. And I don't say that in a, in a negative or condemning tone. I say that in a reality tone and that it, for people on that end of the spectrum, on top of just dealing with what they're dealing with, man, like, you know, not to say athletes don't put in work and they don't deal with setbacks and they have things in their personal lives. But I, I give so much props to my clients who are dealing with obesity and medical concerns and pain and injury to still like go through life, go through your job, go through your social obligations. Oh, and by the way, also work through the thing you're working with, with a stranger, you know, three times a week. Like it's very, very difficult for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's something you, you get that all the time. The people that'll say comments like, uh, oh, if I was getting paid to do that, then, you know, that'd be a lot easier for me to work out four or five hours a day. And it's like, yeah, but no, it, it wouldn't be. It's, nah, it's not. You, most easier. people don't want that. You, no, you, you, you look at the athletic life and you think it's all, it's all sunshine rainbows and don't get me wrong. You know, millions of dollars is, is nice on that end of the spectrum. Uh, but for the try, very select few that get millions of dollars, which is drastically yes. small percentage yes. of people playing sports at all. <laughs> yeah. And don't yeah. see your family and deal with, you know, the, the constant demands of the sport and the constant, you know, with social media, dealing with the constant mental pressures. And it's, it's, it's probably no parade a lot of the time I would imagine. Correct. But one of the thing, one of the aspects that people don't realize is that the reason they're allowed to do that is because their financial wellness is being supported by their physical fitness, right? So they're able to do those things. They're able to devote four to five hours a day to that because it's giving them the money necessary to support themselves financially. And so that's where a lot of people struggle. They're like, you know, I just don't have the time. It's like, it's it's not necessarily that you don't have the time. Everybody's got 24 hours, right? But, but it's the prioritization of it because you have other commitments that you Mm -hmm. have to do. And so that's one of the things when I'm talking with my clients is, okay, what, what, what is necessary for you to be able to live successfully in your life, financially, socially, environmentally, right? All of yes. these different things. You have to be able to keep your job to be able to support your family. You love Correct. your family. And so you have to spend time with your family. Okay, so let's prioritize those things. What what comes first? What comes second? What comes third? Okay, fitness falls six, seven. That's great. No problem at all. Now, let's ask ourselves, what could you do? that could also support it. So could we do evening walks with our family so that you guys can talk about your day and 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 bring up the things that were made you happy and connect with your family on that level so that you get your social wellness and you get your physical wellness as well, right? So it's not a matter of I don't have time, it's that you don't know where your priorities lie and so you're scrambling around from one thing to the next to the next and and you're taking away other aspects of your wellness to try to do a two hour run every three days a week, because you think that's what fitness is. Yes. And that, that's the big thing too, is, you know, people will come and a big question I always ask is like, 
like you said, out literally outlining a general day for them to see what we can manipulate and what we can't. And then also bringing up the conversation of like, you don't need to be a hero on day one, week one, you know, it's, it's starting with 10 minutes every other day, three times a week is going to start providing some benefits for you doing that for a couple of weeks. Then you have the energy boost. Then you have the habitual, you know, kind of coming in of doing something. Then you start stacking wins and then things start, you know, avalanching in a positive way. And so people come to me and they're like, they're excited and they're motivated. Like, Oh, I need to, I need to do four times a week. And it's like, well, buddy, slow down. You haven't even, you haven't even worked out in two, three years. Like let, let's get some, let's get some little wins here first, get some positive before you spiral out of control and you don't show up to a session or two. And then you feel like, you know, I call it pressing the fuck it button, which is I, <laughs> I do a bunch of good things. I, I meal prep. I, I spend time with my kids and I saw my trainer, but I, I had that cheesecake and there's nothing wrong with having cheesecake, yeah. shitty cheesecake. But to them, they think it's the end of the world. And they say, this is stupid coaching, stupid. I'm wasting money. And so I'm imploding the whole thing. And they press that, yep. that fuck it button. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what, one of the things I love about you and, and people who get it in the coaching world is that, okay, as soon as I hear the word need, to me, that's a red flag. Need, need, right? Like you need water, you need <laughs> shelter, you need food, and you need love. Everything else is a is a want, right? Like I want six pack abs. You don't need six pack abs. Trust me, they're not as glamorous as everybody thinks. Like they help you do this, right? Like that's yeah, yeah. so. But when I hear need, so I need to go to four days a week. Okay, like so. So I hear that you want to because it's something you. Th- you see these trends. And so you're thinking if, if three is good, four is better. Yeah. But what are we taking away by adding another day of the week? Because you're physically like, you only have 24 hours. So adding another day, are you, is your family still seeing you the way that they want to, are you still able to get your work obligations done? Are you still seeing money coming into the bank? And and will that take away your ability to have discretionary income for other things that make Mm -hmm. you happy uh, or support you uh, in your life? Like, that that's that word need is always a red flag for me because it, it's never truly a need situation rarely and outlining compromises too where it's like you know people come to me on the general fitness spectrum or they maybe they're more towards the sickness spectrum but they want all these glamorous things which again i never discourage clients i always am going to try and shift that that energy towards their training and towards their goal setting but being real you you got to be real and kind at the same time so saying like listen like these are the things you want cool generally here's what it's going to take are you willing to compromise on x y and z right you know like we talk about the athletes there is a lot of sacrifice to get to where they want people look at at high even even recreational athletes who you know run marathons or do ironmans it's like do you know what it takes to get there or to look like that for that person outside of genetic factors obviously like it takes sacrifice it takes missing birthdays it takes skipping meals it takes changing your diet drastically it takes you know, sucking wind at every workout. Are you really actually willing to do that? Or are you okay having a more holistic view of your fitness and still having a balanced life this way? Most people are going to lean towards towards the latter, right? Which is like, I want more holistic. I want good benefits. I don't need to be on that end of the spectrum. Cool. Then let's make something that's realistic for you. And we can compromise for your other things like your social, your financial, et cetera. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, So what we started to talk a little bit about when we were asking and discussing those qualities of those people in that sector as well is more of the behavioral side, right? Like, so what are the things that we typically hear when they want to start to make these changes? Uh, what are some of the setbacks? And, and one mm-hmm. of the things I heard was, 
obviously maybe a misunderstanding of some of the things that it might take or a misunderstanding even of, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I see a lot of is a misunderstanding of the the very little they need to actually make a change like like yeah it doesn't take a lot but it takes something um so there's this this misunderstanding of 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 those factors so i want to dive just a little bit more into the quality the the actual physiological qualities that we see in the people that you're dealing with that are a little bit more on that that sickness side what are some of the traits that they come in with that lead you to believe that they are more on the sickness end of the spectrum yeah, absolutely. So typically on the sickness end, like I said, it's going to fall into two primary buckets. I'll use uh, dealing with obesity as one major category, or, or you can call it metabolic sickness in a sense. Um, notice I always say with obesity, I don't call people obese. That is kind of a, a, a some, I guess, vernacular that I try and use because that's a whole other conversation about disease. But people dealing with obesity or metabolic disease, that's a big bucket where they're dealing with, you know, symptoms of high blood pressure, Maybe they're pre or actually have type two diabetes, uh, dealing with you know large levels of true inflammatory biomarkers for heart health, for cardiovascular health, for maybe they have some pulmonary issues where they have sleep apnea and breathing issues, which then leads to psychological concerns with sleep, et cetera. And then in the other bucket is the the pain and injury side, right, where people are you know have a constant re reaggravated musculoskeletal injury that I've had for four or five, 10 plus years, you know, the common one, lower back pain. It's like, I've had it for 20 years. And it's like, that that's unacceptable for someone, not not for the person, but it's unacceptable that you've had to deal with that for, for so long and had no relief for, for 20 years. So those are kind of the, the physiological aspects is that metabolic health side of things and the musculoskeletal side of the injury spectrum. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, which kind of runs the gamut with the same things that I see in, in my world. I say that because th if if there's any dimensional wellness that I am a little bit more inclined to, it would be the physical wellness aspect. So yeah, that aligns a lot with what I see as well as the metabolic and then obviously the skeletal muscular, which I mean, compromises a majority of, <laughs> of your body, right? Right. Yeah. Your, your muscles, your skeletal system, your heart, your lungs right? Like talk about gut health, which uh, I mean, that's a whole nother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you New know, emerging awesome. research, man. It's very interesting. Absolutely. And that's, it's, it's amazing how much that actually will change the entire physiology of everything else we're talking about, right? Like what mm -hmm. you eat, what you put into your body is going to change your heart health and your lung health and your brain health and your skeletal muscle health. And so that's, yeah, that's, those two that's why they they keep talking about this idea that there's a second brain in your body and it's in your gut because of all the neurons that are happening within that space as well along with the flora that happens the entire ecosystem in your stomach is it's crazy and one sir that i apologize for not mentioning this one i'd oh. be remiss to not mention and again i won't go down the the emotional psychological side too much but with these two populations specifically the psychological wellness or health cannot be dismissed. Uh, you know, me, when we talk uh, our, our long conversations about pain and injury, uh, the psychology side of things plays a big role in people's pain experience. You know, 90% of all lower back pain is non-specified, meaning currently we don't have an identifiable cause for that. That's concerning, meaning, and we know that pain is quite prevalent in adults. It makes up about, you know, you could say that about 20% of the population at any given point in time is chronic pain, which is defined about three to six months continuously having some kind of pain. So it's quite frequent. And in a lot of cases, we don't have an identifiable cause as to why it's happening. And we also see things where, you know, environment, language, parenting, um, the way that you grew up, or even the words used by professionals can influence or cause 
pain-like symptoms or exacerbate pain-like symptoms. And so that psychological component, not to say I don't deal with people who have the physiological side of pain, like you got in a car accident, you broke your femur from a fall, whatever it may be. But if you go 20 years into the future and you're still dealing with the same pain from that from that broken femur or from that lower back, is that 100% physiological? I would I would put my money and say there's a psychological component going on there. Um, and then on the obesity front, those dealing with those metabolic health issues, there's usually, and I wrote a whole article going over this in the pain and injury side, uh, how it works with metabolic health. Uh, there's higher rates of poor sleep. There's higher rates of pain sensitivity. So that means if I took the, the exact same person, if I could clone them, and how one person perceives pain versus the other, the person who's dealing with obesity more so is going to be at a higher, uh, they feel pain worse, I guess I should say, mm -hmm. if, if given the same stimulus. Yeah. They have higher rates of anxiety. They have higher rates of depression. It's it's all elevated. And which cause which is, is hard to say per se, but I've noticed there's more of those concerns for that population as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit something really interesting when you talked about how the environment and the way that you're raised and your culture plays a huge part in pain and tolerance. Because one of the biggest frustrations that I have with people is when they talk about how the reason they're in pain is because they're older. And I can't they, stand that. Oh my no, gosh. no offense. I, I no, not to the person, but that, that grinds my ears when I hear someone say that. It's the concept, right? You were and taught it, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The same as we, we were hanging out with some friends and, um, their their whole family is deathly afraid of snakes and they came and showed us a, a dead snake and you as you know one my first degree was wildlife biology right so <laughs> and my wife's a zoo keeper and so that bothers us right they bring a dead snake to us and they're like look i killed it and 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 so i i, I asked them i'm like do you want your kids to be afraid of the dark no why not well it's an irrational fear so is being afraid of a tiny thing that absolutely cannot hurt you right and it's the same thing with the pain thing is is this idea that like, oh, as I get older, I'm just going to hurt more. Well, no, they happen hand in hand. Does your recovery rate slow drastically, right? And there's no argument there. Does your mm -hmm. hormonal uh, imbalance typically occur? Yes. Do you have more trouble sleeping? Yes. So mm -hmm. is it is aging in favor of your physiological health? No, it's not benefiting you as you age compared to when you're 20. But to say that it's the reason you can't be healthy is completely asinine. It's, it's, it happens at the same time, right? So I age and I get tighter so I conflate the two when right. in fact, it's just the same lack of exercising practices. And I don't mean exercises like physical exercise. I mean, exercise, like I exercise my practice of flexibility, right? The same lack of those exercises is what is causing you to get tighter or to get less muscle or any of those things. Uh, and because that's happening over time, what else happens over time? You age. So those mm -hmm. two things are happening simultaneously, but one does not cause the other. And so that's to your point, like that's the culture we live in where they tell you like, oh, it's just part of getting older. One day when you get older, you'll understand. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Western thing too, where, and please cut me off, sir, if we, if I'm going on a tangent here, no. but it's, I think we have, <laughs> I'm a masochist in some sense. I like I like the pain and exercise, but I think we have in a uh, in our culture a fear of pain. Yeah. I think, like you said, with the you know how we have the expedient lifestyle, and there, it's there's wonderful things that like Amazon can do, and and we have a very convenient life, which I'm in favor of. Versus the opposite end of the spectrum is is the environment that is depleted, and we don't have food and resources. Sure. But when sometimes you're in pain, 
And and I don't want people to constantly be in pain. Chronic pain is not good and it's it's unfair, but people I think have this perception that you should always feel good or numb. Hmm. And that's not true. You know, oftentimes, you know, when you're when you're exercising or your 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 brain or your body, you stress yourself, you challenge yourself, you push yourself in a way that causes discomfort. And that's like that's even a big thing I have to talk with my clients is like, what's the difference between pain and discomfort? The difference between being sore and I'm not trying to make them sore beyond belief. What's the difference between being sore and actually having like physiological, not good kind of pain. And so I think in our culture, there's still a conversation of like, it's okay to not feel okay. Sometimes like it, it, and it, and that's normal. Like I don't feel happy 24 seven. I'm very fortunate that I think just my environment and my psychology are very favorable to be in a good mood and feel good most of the time. But there's mornings I wake up, I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm more sore than normal. My brain's definitely working at 0.75 speed. And like, maybe I'm a little, little achy from something, whatever. And that is okay. As long as it doesn't last chronically. And then that's a, that's a conversation that we need to have. Yeah, no, you, absolutely. I think that's huge. The, the, I want one of the plagues I think on this earth right now, or in our culture, at least is, is the, the desire to, of, Avoid all discomfort because discomfort, the o- growth only happens in discomfort. It cannot mm-hmm. happen in any form of comfort. Now you might be sitting in a chair while you read a book that helps you grow, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. If that book does not challenge your beliefs or your assumptions or challenges what you used to know, then you're not growing. And that's intellectual discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the, and that's where, you know, again, these, these different dimensions of wellness intellectual is one of them is how do we get from sickness to wellness? through discomfort. Now, is it, it's, it's guided, it's metriced, it's, it's focused discomfort, right? It's systemized discomfort, yeah. but there has to be a discomfort in some level. And that could be being slightly hungry because you cannot be in a calorie deficit if you're not yes. slightly hungry, but yes. there's a difference between starving yourself and waiting 30 more minutes before you eat your next meal. And that doesn't mean you have to be David Goggins. Like I always make that distinction, right? Like that is, that is the Michael Jordan of that dimension of what he does, right? Like there are very few people like that, man. I'm not saying you can't aspire. And if that works for you, cool, but know that you don't have to be like that. Take it from a fitness professional who loves exercise, who constantly does things to sacrifice and restrict in a healthy manner. I love eating a bunch of different foods. I'm not going to say food is good or bad food is food. There's no moral value per se to food. I eat donuts. I eat fast food. I play video. I love video games. I love mind numbing video games. I love doing nothing a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but I also make sure in my life, I set things up that really challenges me rigorously, physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I pair that with the other things that I like that are a little bit on the pleasurable side, if you want to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, And what I think people struggle with, uh, that I don't like as well is that they think they can, they do one so that they can do the other. No, do, do both of them for different reasons, right? Like don't exercise so you can eat the cake, right? Enjoy the cake because it reminds you of grandma, right? Yeah. Uh, But enjoy it realistically, right? And then enjoy the physical activity. And you said you're, you know, you're, you're masochist. You love, you love the pain. It's like, I, I, I love doing very, very challenging things to the point where it hurts, right? Yeah. But I don't love the pain per se as much as I love 
the feeling of knowing that I can accomplish something. Like I was able to do that. I did a Spartan race once that was like 13 miles, bunch of obstacles, and I didn't train very well for it. So I ran, I went out there, had short socks and, uh, and some shoes on. And I was like, I'm just going to try it <laughs> because my, my workout partner at the time, we started working out together and then it kind of fell apart. And I really, I'm a social guy. So I wanted, that's why I wanted to do it was to do it with somebody else. So about 10 miles or 10 minutes in, I'm, I'm running. I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good. Look back over my shoulder for something and just just ankle rolls. I oh. roll on the ground. It ends up being like a, a level two, level three sprain. 10 minutes into a 13-mile obstacle course run. And so I had a decision I had to make. I was like, okay, I can, I, I'm, I'm already thinking, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Am I going to talk to the medical professionals? I'm going to get picked up, whatever. And then I asked myself, okay, what's the worst that can happen if I keep going? If I keep going, the worst thing that can happen, because your body tells you when it's like, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go to a point where it's irreversible. It's a sprain. It's not a break, whatever. And so I was like, well, the worst that can happen is I'm, I'm going to go another 10 minutes. I can't do it. I sit down and I wait until somebody runs by me and I, they say, do you need help? And I say, yes. And they bring a, a cart and I'm off the race, right? Like I'm not out in the middle of nowhere dying. I'm not, right. no, there's no risk of me dying here. There's water stations, blah, blah, blah. And so I had to, I had to make the decision, do I keep going or do I stop? And so I ended up kept going. And the thing that kept me going was I knew that I wasn't going to get hurt. I wasn't going to die. And there may come a time in my life where I sprain my ankle out in the middle of nowhere. And there is nobody to help me. There is no medical tent. There is no helicopter flying out. My cell phone's dead. I have my son with me and, 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 you know, he's young and he can't do anything. And so I did this so that I could tell myself, if I can do that, I can do this, right? Mm -hmm. if, I can, if I can do a, ended up being a five and a half hour endeavor in like September, hotter than hell, um, on a sprained ankle, doing monkey bars, carrying giant Atlas stones, all this, like I did all of that five and a half hours, no little to no food. I think I had some pickle juice and like a goo gel. I ended up like somewhere on the course. They found, I found some. You endurance athlete, you. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but the whole thing, I didn't do that because I love the pain. I didn't do mm. like, like it wasn't, had nothing to do with the pain, right? Like, uh, like if somebody else was like, Hey, should you do? No, probably not. You probably shouldn't do that. I did it because I love the idea of being, of being able to accomplish something and showing myself that it's, it's possible. Showing how resilient you can be in the human. That's why I love too. Like you said, going back to the person of, you know, people who are older and it's like, oh, you're broken. It's like, what kind of narrative is that? Mm -hmm. It's like, shouldn't we be telling ourselves within reason that like the human body is this awesome, most creative, adaptive machine and look at the great things it can do despite, you know, limitations. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty rewarding. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When people talk, you know, the, the guy that ran the four, uh, the two hour marathon, right? He's running 430-ish minute miles i can't run a sprint for a quarter mile at that pace like i can't get up to be, man. maintain it yeah and so a lot of other people are like oh man like that's like that's crazy i could never do something like that and all i can think is he's made out of the same stuff i am it's di it's different you know mixtures and he obviously has a lot better mitochondria and yeah, yeah. uh you know muscle fibers and and, and all that stuff but it's the same stuff Right. So like if he can do just like to your point, if David Goggins can do this, if that's 100 percent, even if I can improve myself 10 percent towards that, I'm better than I was. Right. Yes, and that's absolutely. that that's that improvement on the spectrum from where I am to where I want to. That's why the company next better. Right. Like what's the next better thing that I can do to help mm -hmm. me improve myself. Right.
So, so we, we dove a little bit into the sickness thing more kind of talked a lot about the mentality, but you mentioned the, the cardiovascular health, the metabolic disease, um, obesity plays a part in all of that. And, um, and the mental side of things as well, challenges with the behavioral changes that we see and we are presented. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum, right? Maybe not necessarily the far end of the spectrum, but but what are some of the qualities that you're going to see in the fitness side of things, right? What are what are some of those things that you're seeing in your athletes or your clients? Yeah, the two things is they're they're highly intrinsically motivated and they also love a competitive aspect. And that looks different from person to person. You know, sometimes competition means coach steps up to the plate every now and again and challenges you on that, on that thousand meter row. Right. Or competition within themselves. You know, some of my athletes I work with, I'm like, Hey, you know, last time you did this assault bike, it took you this long to do it. So what are you going to do today? Let's see what, let's see what you do. And so definitely leveraging that, that, that competitive nature in them is, is extremely important. And also tying everything back to their goal. It's like, Hey, why are you doing this? You're trying to get on the football team. Uh, you're trying to run that marathon. You're trying to, you know, do this Ironman event, et cetera. Going back to their goals and their intrinsic motivation as to what makes them want to do it is ultimately what I find kind of overlaps with a lot of my athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things. So I'm a level two CrossFit trainer, right? And so for for whatever people think of CrossFit, love to have a, a an open-minded conversation about it because a lot of people misunderstand it. They think they see the games, they see the the quote unquote injury rates that were actually the uh, from one false study. But what I loved about CrossFit was is that people talk all the time about competing with yourself. You're not there to compete with the other guy. You're here to compete with yourself, but but it's really hard to do that until you have metrics to do it. So when you think about like running, well, that's pretty easy. I ran a 5k at, at 27 minutes and then I ran a 5k at 25 minutes. Are you better? Absolutely. You did the mm-hmm. same amount of work, but you did it in less time. And so when you look at something like CrossFit or like what you're talking about, Hey, the last, last month you did this workout in this amount of time, you standardize the components, you standardize the rep schemes, the work that needs to be done. And then you ask yourself, okay, if I can get the more work done in the same amount of time or less work done, or sorry, the uh, more work done in less time or the same amount of work done in less time, right? Like if I can do that, then I'm improving myself. So that is a that is a standardized, systematized metric by which we can measure improvement in the fitness space. And so that's what that's why I've loved CrossFit as a methodology for so long is because it's very easy to see those improvements. And, and you yes. see that in every metric of, of fitness, if, if there's a weight involved, right? Like bench press, you're doing the same thing. I, I can mm-hmm. lift more weight, right? Yeah. That's the metric by which you can measure strength. Um, you see it in cardiovascular fitness, some of the other things like stamina, I, you know, I'm going to run for three hours, I'm gonna see how far I can go, right? So you're measuring stamina and endurance, if I can move farther this week than I did last week, or month or year or whatever, then I have better stamina or better endurance, but it became harder to do when you started to look at things like, I'm going to do pull ups and kettlebell swings or whatever. But when you standardize it, you see that improvement. So to your point, that competitive nature doesn't have to be with other people. No. And it shouldn't because most of the time you don't know what other factors are going into play with those other people, right? They have better sleep schedules. They don't have kids. They have, you know, you're you, usually we compare ourselves with our 20 year old selves. It's like that dude didn't have shit going on, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that dude was just every time in the world, man. <laughs> off of his parents and going to college and right. And so it's like, so stop comparing yourself to that guy because he's completely different. Even though it was you, it was a completely different you. But yes, 
but you do know yourself and you do know what you've gone through and what you're doing. So that's a very similar comparison, right? Minus the sleep cycles mm -hmm. and injury rates and food and whatever. But that's what I love about the competitive aspect of that intrinsic desire to become better. So yes. that's, that's really important that you point that out in a, in a fitness athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what other qualities would you say? So obviously intrinsic motivation what are, uh, and, and competitive nature. What about some of the more physical attributes? Like what are some of the things you're seeing in, in people who are on the fitness side that you, that you physically are seeing or that you're trying to measure? That I'm physically seeing or trying to measure. Yeah. I guess another way to think of that is like, what do you do with your clients to help them see their, their progress? Mm, yeah. So big thing with athletes, obviously it varies from sport to sport, but you know, and even with recreational athletes, but in general, it's, it's a lot of things that you mentioned, right? It's getting those, those hard concrete metrics that are applicable to their sport. So, you know, for my young football player, you know, how's his strength doing? How is his speed doing? How is his power output for my marathon runner, you know, looking at their various training and how their time is going for their scheduled runs over time. How are their splits going? How is their recovery going how, what is their perceived you know session rpe for the day is it hey i may have be ran about the same time but it felt easier than it did last time mm -hmm. and so i use a lot of a lot of those subjective metrics th that has a relationship to the objective like how they're feeling in terms of their performance that day but also just kind of the, those standardized tests of, of strength power endurance cardiovascular endurance and things of that nature Absolutely. Absolutely. There's um, the thing that I really follow, which I got exposed to through CrossFit, but it wasn't CrossFit who made it up. Um, the guys that invented the Dynamax ball, the wall, mm. the wall ball, yeah, yeah. Um, they came up with the 10 components of fitness. I actually taught this when I taught at uh, a, a local high school here for a year before I got called up to, <laughs> to Purdue. But the 10 aspects of fitness are um, speed, power, strength, accuracy, coordination, balance, flexibility, endurance, stamina, and the other one agility right and so if you are training or practicing because those are two different ways to improve yourself uh physiologically but you are you are improving one of the one or more of those 10 aspects of fitness and i really like that because it, it just made sense to me right if i'm lifting uh, heavy weights i'm getting stronger if i'm running uh, long distances, I'm improving my stamina and my and my endurance, right? If I'm working on jumping rope or doing multiple movement patterns at the same time, I'm working on coordination. And then you can you can create systems to measure that. So I at my fitness facility, we had 10 aspects of fitness. So we had a whole test week and we tested all 10 of those. Some of it included mm. double under, some of it included dynamic and static balancing tricks with like chips where we'd have to go down, pick them up, come back up don't touch your foot on the ground. Then we'd measure your flexibility, mobility, overhead, lower body, blah, blah, blah. Um, strength. We do power, clean assessments. We do speed assessments. So like very easy to measure those things because mm -hmm. you do the test three, six months later, you do the test again and you see how you improve. Yeah. I like, I like those, that 10, I haven't heard that before from Dynamax. That's a really cool, that basically summarizes it pretty nicely. And again, on the, on the psychology front is also, you know, with athletes, a big thing is confidence or some people might call their swagger, right? So it's a little anecdotal, but you can see as like your athlete improves in a particular one of those 10 dimensions you mentioned, looking at their confidence with the way they work out, the way they carry themselves. And then ultimately if the parent or, or themselves, I mean, like, man, I feel good, or I looked good, or my head was up and I performed better. Like that's another thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to improve constantly with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, so when you're thinking of these two different 
ends of the spectrum, right? One of the one of the things we're trying to determine is like, what are the far ends? Now, physical sickness, the very far end is, is death, right? But that at that point, we're not really talking about being on the spectrum at all. <laughs> and so a little bit above that is just, you know, comorbidities, metabolic mm. waste, we're, we're on death's door, right? Yeah. As, as Mark Estes, who we, we had an interview with, he's chief of emergency medicine, he's like, I saw death all the time. So all those people that I was dealing with, terminal cancer, all those things, some of them are are uh, unavoidable, right? Like there's no, there's no change in diet that you can do to get rid of terminal cancer, right? Like maybe early on in your life, but there, there's some evidence about diet playing a part in cancer, right? But at some point, mm -hmm. cancer, it's not going to go away. So barring all that, we're talking about avoidable, preventable death causing illness and injuries and things like that. If you had to go all the way to that end of that spectrum and describe that end of the spectrum in in one or two words, what would that description sound like? I'd describe that end of the spectrum. I would say it's, man, that's a good question. I would probably say that that end of the spectrum right before death's door is just, yeah, that person is is similar to what I said. They're they're a little lost and feel trapped, and they're they're in a spot where they feel very stuck. And when you get so far to one end of the spectrum, the last thing on their mind is physical fitness. Although it can be beneficial, barring whatever their their medication or their or their treatment protocol is, you know, it's the last thing on their mind. And so I think that that hopelessness or trap feeling is is something. You know, I've I've dealt with some clients that are in the past more so towards that end of the spectrum unfortunately and it's it's very very difficult for them unfortunately yeah no absolutely i i've seen very similar clients very rarely do they even come to our door right they very rare that yes. point yeah, the, you talk about the trans theoretical model of change people are getting sick of hearing me say that uh but you're talking about pre-contemplation i don't even yeah. i haven't even thought about my problem right it's like the the smoker who smoked packs for years and has no intentions of quitting right like I don't even, I haven't even considered this as something I would want to change, right? Because yeah. I just probably just don't think either A, it's it, it doesn't matter to me, B, I don't think there's a problem, or C, uh, I've just gotten to the point where I don't think there's any way out. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so then let's take that and shift it to entirely to the other end of the spectrum, right? We're talking, the easiest way to think about this is like an Olympic level athlete, right? Like yeah, the yeah. peak of the peak of the peak, the David Goggins of the world, which, you know, <laughs> He he he's mentally this probably one of the strongest people on the world. Who I don't I haven't seen I haven't really seen his measurements to determine could he go out and win you know marathons or whatever. He could run out outlast most people, but I don't know yeah, if he yeah. could sprint out sprint more people. But like those types of people, how would you describe that end of the spectrum in terms of like a one or two word term? Yeah, I would just say you know how the kids say they're they're built different, man. You know whether it's there, and I think again it goes to there's genetic factors for sure. Like I, I do aspire and, and put in personal responsibility, but I'm going to be blunt. Not everyone will ever be Michael Jordan okay. because he had some of those physical universe, God-given attributes, however you want to say it, where he's 6'6", 225, pretty much muscle, and he just is an athletic freak. Uh, but the other side is like that David Goggins element is that psychological thing that maybe came from, maybe it is genetic in a sense where like his personality from his, from his genes are like that, but also how he was raised in his environment. And so I find that athletes on that end of the spectrum, their physiology and psychology is just, it's different than the general population. And people can maybe get close to there and they can work towards that, but it requires, 
extreme life events where it requires extreme levels of commitment and change to do that. And so that's why very few people are the way that those high level athletes are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you think of the individuals that kind of fall into the middle of that spectrum, you know, so, so they're obviously they're not sick and they're not fit. Right. And that, and that's such a, if you ever look at the spectrums that I create, it's, it is literally a gray area because mm-hmm. there's, there's this shift between like, okay, so I like, I, I work out three days a week, but I just got a cold, right? Like you, like you're, you're constantly flexing in this state, right? But in general, if you're thinking of somebody who's just kind of, who's got it balanced out, like their life is in balance physically, mm-hmm. what are some of the qualities uh, of their physical wellness that you're seeing that lead you to believe that they got a good balance going on? Yeah, I think overall it's it's a they kind of are just like, for lack of a better term, an average Joe. They have like that good, you know, they they have solid movement patterns. That if I meet them for the first couple of times, like oh, you, I definitely can tell you've worked out before, or you know, maybe the the errors in your movement are very minimal, and you're you're learning things pretty fast. Uh, they don't really have many, if any, health concerns. You know, they might have a little bit of high blood pressure, or maybe they're like, I need to lose maybe ten or fifteen pounds, but you can definitely tell that it's going to be quote unquote, an easier goal for them compared to someone at the other end of the spectrum. And so they have like that nice blend of like, hey, you're going to, if you put a, a good amount of effort in, like you're going to soar pretty quickly, um, despite maybe the few limitations that you're you're currently dealing with or, or even have at all. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a lot simpler than someone on that far end of the spectrum, like we mentioned. Okay. Yeah. So, so maybe put in a different way, the, the individual has no large or gross signs of high levels of fitness, right? They're not going to go out and win a 5k, but they may go out mm-hmm. and run a 5k. Yeah. Um, but, and they're not, they have no telltale signs of any sort of symptoms or of disease at any point. And their ability to fluctuate one way or the other is also pretty high, right? So if yeah. I give them three to six weeks of training, they could go out and get third in their 5k at the same token, um, they may end up very easily getting a, a cold there, you know, like for me personally, I don't get sick a lot. Right. And it's because I do a lot to keep my immune system pretty well high, including playing in the mud, by the way, uh, <laughs> not, not avoiding sickness, but being resilient to it. But they, this person maybe, you know, could go either way pretty quickly. They could also, if they sat around and did nothing for six weeks, they'd probably get a little bit of a beer gut. That's a good way of saying, yeah, high fluctuation, generally healthy, barring a couple things could get active pretty quickly, but also I could see what you're saying about how, you know, if they took, they went on a bender for three to six weeks, it's like, oh, now I'm starting to develop some unfortunate habits and patterns that may be negative for my health. <laughs> Going on a bend. As soon as you said that, like a quick flash of me went, oh, that'd be nice. And then the other one's like, I'd feel like horrible shit. <laughs> like I, I just feel how I would feel. Yes. You know, we're human. I've been through two weeks where I didn't exercise and I ate like crap. And oh man, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, how do people do this day in and day out? Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel for them because they don't, they, sometimes they don't even know what something else feels like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back I think to it's, they think that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it is normal for them. For them. Right? Yeah. So, um, and so I, that's, and that's a word I always avoid because somebody, a lot of my clients will ask me, Hey, I had this thing going on. Is that normal? I say, well, it, it's it's common, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. Low back pain is common. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's normal. That's right? a good way of saying it. So, um, okay. So yeah. So 
let's dive into a little bit. We're starting to wrap this up. So let's let's dive a little bit into those qualities or those attributes that can be measured that allow us to better understand where people are at on this spectrum. So obviously we dove into it a little bit with like, you know, you're going to test the vertical of a basketball player or, or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, you can also test obviously the the body composition of somebody who's overweight that we want to lose weight. What are some other metrics that you are using to measure your your clients or the individuals you work with on that spectrum of physical wellness. Yeah, and I think there's overlap. Obviously, like on the athletic side, you know, I just say athletes are extreme humans. And so they they bend and lift, they push, they pull. And so barring the agility and the speed side of things, there's a lot of similarities in my assessments that I do for both, right? Because general health is important to measure for anyone. Sure. So I have those baseline assessments, you know, or what people may call resting assessments. I usually check people's heart rate and blood pressure, uh, make sure they're within a healthy range or, or barring medications or family history. Like how can we work to improve that? I do anthropometric measurements. So things like BMI, which people are going to shit on BMI, there's debate for that. So when you compare with other things like waist circumference, history, et cetera, it can have some utility in certain contexts, mm -hmm. as well as things like circumference measurements, um, overall body fat percentage, if, if I have the ability to measure it through a skinful caliper or some form of, of BIA, like an in-body situation, that's going to be important. And then, of course, you know, general quality of movement. I, I use what's called the primary aid movement patterns. Uh, you do some form of squat. You do some form of hinge like a deadlift. You do push and pulls that are vertical and horizontal. You do something on a single leg or I call lunging, whether it's linearly, laterally, or rotationally. And then we rotate. We, we do wood chops, we do Russian twists, we do those sorts of things. Outside of things like a plank or running or other extreme athletic examples, human movement is pretty much defined in, in roughly those eight categories of movement. And so whenever I meet with an athlete or a client, once I assess kind of those baseline health markers, I'm then looking at your quality movement for a particular exercise that makes sense for you in those eight dimensions, because look at that eight dimensions. Isn't that funny how that works? <laughs> because then I can see, you know, for a squat, regardless of what squat you do, there's certain things I look for. Are your feet relatively flat? Are your knees relatively tracking in line with your toes? Do you have a relatively vertical torso, right? If I can check those basic benchmarks for, for a general population person it might be a TRX squat for an athlete, it might be a barbell back squat. And so I'm looking at those basic things across those eight dimensions, grading your quality of movement, and then assessing how I can improve that over time. And then lastly is, again, I, I use a lot of subjective information to dictate my objective outcomes. Uh, I use Train Heroic, thanks to Lucas for introducing me to that. I freaking love the app. For those who don't know it, it does program design and it has great uh, data tracking for your clients. Every time you start a workout, as a five-question survey for them. It measures mood, measures energy, measures sleep, it measures soreness, and it measures, oh, this is I'm a horrible person. What's going on here? Sleep. <laughs> Anyway, there's five of them. There's one yeah. more that it measures. And so over time, I can track and see if my athlete or my client is improving in those dimensions over time, just because those do directly impact their performance and, mm. and reaching their goals, as well as like I mentioned, session RP, how hard is your workout? If I give you the same workout, are you recording it as easier in the in the future? And so yeah. those are those are those subjective measures I use to go with those markers to help me out. Yeah, that's one of the many things I loved about Train Heroic is that is how powerful even something as quick as those surveys can be to yeah. coach to be able to assess how they're doing and to your point like there is no there there's no debate about so there's debate about what sleep actually does to us because there's still questions about what what the mechanisms of sleep and how they work but there's mm -hmm. no debate that sleep 
is one of the most, if not the most powerful performance enhancers ever, right? Absolutely. You never get worse off by sleeping. So um, yeah, I, I do love that. So when you think about, so so those are some great attributes that you laid out there. What are some ways that you or an individual would go about measuring some of those things? So you talked a little bit about the bioelectric impedance uh, scale mm-hmm. BI, uh, to be able to assess body composition. Obviously, that's a great place. Is there... Uh, are there other methods that people can use themselves or or in conjunction with a professional like you to be able to see those results over time to see themselves benefiting in their physical wellness? Absolutely. And that's what I find cool about a lot of these these tests that I kind of standardize for a lot of my my clients or my my uh, athletes is that a lot of these I can teach people to do pretty easily and and somewhat affordably, which is cool. So, Heart rate's free, right? You learn how to do your radial or your carotid pulse, and you can learn how to count it and multiply it with a calculator. Very easy. Um, blood pressure, you can get a cuff, an automatic cuff pretty cheap online, or when you go to your local Walmart or your doctor, right, you can figure out what it is. Love the anthropometric stuff, you can also learn how to do or teach someone in your family how to do. And what I say is while these tests, because there's no perfect test, not even in the medical field, there are no perfect tests, but if you can do it consistently, as consistently as possible, you can at least see trends, right? So I, I give the example, of, let's say you have a broken scale, but it's consistently broken, right? So when you get on the scale, it says a thousand pounds, but it will go down if you lose weight. I, I use that analogy a lot because B, um, um, BIA sometimes can have can have fluctuations in it. Oh yeah. But but if I see the trend is going down generally, even if the number is has a margin of error, I know we're moving in the right direction. And so getting a BIA is easy. Having a scale is easy. With the with the movement assessment, there's a little bit more nuance there because a coach's eye is, is hard to look at yourself. But there's some check marks you can look at by working with a coach a couple of times saying, okay, I know in a squat, I need to have my feet flat. I know in the bench press, I need to have my shoulders pinned back, right? And so there's a lot of things that people can track on their own. And then on the subjective or the, the I guess you can say the wellness lens, like I said, with the train heroic survey, uh, those are things that you can maybe just track anecdotally on your own. Like, how does my energy feel over time? Um, how does my, how are my clothes fitting over time? Is, is the notch on my belt getting different? Are shirts a little baggier on me? Uh, do I notice that I'm sleeping better on average, right? Because day to day, it's going to fluctuate. Do I notice that my mood and my interactions are a lot better than they used to be? Uh, so without having all the high tech on that subjective side, you can, I think, just start taking mental notes of how your body and your mood is responding on a day to day. Absolutely. That's one of the powers of journaling. Like people poo-poo on journaling. Oh, I'm just going to write about my feelings. No, no. Journaling <laughs> just means you're, you are capturing checkpoints in your life, right? And that's the same thing you do when you weigh in every three to four days, right? Like you're just capturing a checkpoint to help you understand the trends of your life. And so um, there's a couple books that I have. Uh, one of them is, it's not up anymore. I think I've changed it out, but it's called Triggers by Marshall Goldsmith. And a uh, powerful book about, and he asks himself these same questions every day. And it's it's not about necessarily physical wellness, but like, am I feeling fulfilled in my life? Am I feel like I did something to accomplish my goals? Those types of things. Mm-hmm. Same thing with High Performance Habits, which is right behind me here by Brandon Turner, or um, uh, Brandon Burchard. Same thing. It, it's this journaling of checkpoints. So to your point, you can create your own system that matters to you, right? Atomic Habits is another one. I have a journal mm-hmm. from Atomic Habits and it it has a uh, just a habits tracker, right? So I can write, depending on what I'm focusing on that particular month or a couple of months, you know, sleep. Did I sleep eight hours? Did I drink X number ounces of water? Did I follow the diet that I said I was going to follow? And you can just simply say yes or no. So instead of waiting six months and seeing whether or not you hit your goal, 
every single day, you can see whether or not you did the thing that's going to help you hit your goal. And that's that difference between that controllable versus uncontrollable local uh, loci of focus, right? Like, am I focusing on the weight loss, which is not controllable, way too many things in that world to, you can't just say, I'm going to lose weight and just squeeze really hard and the weight's going to fall off, right? Like, but I can control whether or not I follow my diet each and every single day. And mm-hmm. over time, you're going to see those things add up. Yeah. And then the diet one is another one, you know, it, it depends on the client, you know, some clients are, and, and I might get flack for this, but it's whatever, like some clients who are even weight loss centric, like I don't, I don't necessarily weigh them the first time I see them, or if I do, I find ways to, to get them on the scale without telling the information, because sometimes it's more, you know, detrimental versus beneficial, right? If they're not in the mind space to focus on that, why bring attention to it when I just need to get them to train and enjoy the process anyway. Sure. Uh, but sometimes tracking diet, whether it, because it draws more attention, right? We're not very good at, at the general population, not very good at accurately assessing their caloric intake. We have mm-hmm. studies that show people tend to underestimate how much they eat and overestimate their physical activity. And so tracking those things can be beneficial in some contexts. Uh, also just for the general population or people who maybe lean towards that sickness end of the spectrum, uh, just tracking how consistent you are and showing up to the gym and showing up to your workouts. You know, that's a cool thing that train heroic does as well as it, it has that that um, compliance metric where it shows like you've done X number of workouts of the week or or this percentage of workouts for the month, showing that you're showing up more often than not or more than you did last time can also be very beneficial. Just showing that I'm working towards those ACSM guidelines or I, maybe my goal was to be active three, four times a week consistently and now I've gotten there. So if you're someone who like all these numbers are like, coach, that's, that's too confusing. I, I don't want to deal with all that bull crap. I don't want to constantly track my heart rate, blood pressure, blah, blah, blah just track how often and how consistent you are in going to the gym, because that might be something that helped motivate you and, and helps you get towards your goal. Yeah. I remember all the time uh, clients walking into the gym um, and you know, be like, Hey, how's it going? And you could tell they're just a little bit like, Bleh, right. And they're like, <laughs> well, I'm here. Yeah. And so it's always kind of a, that negative tone. So I, you know, me, I always try to spin it positively. And I said, well, Hey, step one, show up. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's the most powerful step that you can do. Right. And that's that, that turning, the perception of where you are on the spectrum, right? Just the simple act of, oh, well, I'm here. I'm kind of looking towards the sickness. I don't want mm-hmm. to be here. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm tired, blah, 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 blah. Simply being like, hey, I showed up. Look, yeah. I'm looking towards that fitness side of things. And so yeah. just that simple matter of perception of which way you're facing can have drastic implications. Yeah, and to me, the, the showing up is the most for athletes as well, but especially for the general population and those dealing with the sickness side of the spectrum. Showing up is the most important thing. You know, as coaches, we we get into the, the weeds of the programming and the psychology and the this and the that. And that's important. And there's nuances to be had with your client with those things. But ultimately, what matters is that they show up and they do some kind of safe workout. Like, it, especially at the beginner level, it really doesn't matter. They need to do some kind of resistance training. They need to do some kind of cardio. But we don't need to glorify and be like, you know, you need to do this rep scheme and this rest interval. Like, just get your client in the freaking gym and make them enjoy it. And then when you get to that point, where that stuff starts mattering, cool. But until then, consistency, compliance, adherence, enjoyment are king. Yeah. Get them in the gym, man. Yeah. Hey, and then just do the damn thing, right? Do the damn. That's right. <laughs> do the damn thing. Lucas already knows. Thing. That's the motto. Uh, shout out to Shift. So, mm-hmm. speaking of which, 
Damien, what do people need to know about you, what you have going on, places they can hear more from you and all of the awesome stuff that you're doing currently? What do you got? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for this opportunity, sir. For those yeah. who don't know me, you can find me on basically every form of social media. I do almost daily content Monday through Friday on Instagram, YouTube shorts and TikTok. I do what's called fun education. So a lot of posts about how to do exercises, uh, health topics, et cetera. So that is at the underscore shift underscore method. In terms of uh, coaching, if you're in the South Florida area and you want to train with me, you can head to the shiftmethod.org, click any of those orange take action buttons to fill out a little survey, and I'll get in contact with you ASAP. Or you can just send me a DM and we can negotiate a time to meet for a complimentary action plan, which is like a fitness assessment for free. I'm down in beautiful, sunny Boca Raton at Johnny O's Gymnasium. Would love the chance to work with you. Uh, if you're balling or trying to train on a budget, you know, I understand times are tough, man. I have virtual coaching where I can use train heroic to write your program for you and we can do check-ins or I have custom training templates that are pre-written. They only cost $80. It's an eight week training program and you get to use it for as long as you would like. It's a lifetime program that you can rerun as much as you would like to. Again, you can find more about that on the shiftmethod.org. If you're looking for apparel, if you want a cool shirt like this, if you want shorts, bottles, whatever, same thing. It's on my store. Depending on when this comes out, uh, there's going to be a completely new rebranded line of fitness apparel. And so I'll make sure uh, if you if you come on at that time, there'll be some really cool designs and collections that I have on there available for you. Uh, I also have a podcast and a YouTube channel where I do things outside of just the general posting. So every other Monday, we have something like we did here today with Lucas, where I talk with fitness and health professionals, uh, long form fun content. And then the YouTube videos, usually it's about a fitness topic where I kind of do a deep dive on something and try and have some, some cool education for y'all. And then lastly, newsletter. I do a monthly newsletter, which you can subscribe to by heading to my website. You just simply put in your email address and your name and you get cool updates, sales and things of that nature that kind of sums up what's going on for the month. Again, and, and for my social at the underscore shift underscore method, website, the shift method.org. Awesome. I'll be sure to tag all that stuff in the notes as well. Damian Michael, the man that everybody needs to talk to. Hey, I really appreciate you and all you do. Keep doing the damn thing, buddy. And we'll talk soon, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Have a good day, everyone.